faith is is super powerful, um, but it's misused. Going back to Caroline Mace, like we're not going to know the answer, and that's the point. The point is not to know, and so the faith is the comfort of finding meaning in the mystery, and and putting your faith in the fact that. I won't know what the purpose of all of this is, but I'm going to continue to be faithful to this seed that is my soul and nurture it to its fullest potential. You are listening to The Medicine Podcast. I am Mimi. What is up, everybody? This is Chase. So long story short, we were childhood sweethearts turned husband and wife in our early 20s. Despite following the mainstream script for happiness, we actually divorced for three years. Only to later reunite as soulmates with a brand new outlook on love, God, health, and the real medicines of the universe. If you find yourself wondering, is there more to this life, to health, to God, to love? Then you are in the exact right place. Consider this your bridge to expansion for body, mind, and relationships. We are uncovering and discovering with you. Let's go take the medicine. Welcome back to the medicine podcast. My name is Mimi and I got my love, my king, my beautiful blue eyed magician next to me here. We are back. We are back. Back from from our our weary travels. Nearly a month in (laughs) Egypt. It felt like three. Felt like three. Um, it felt like we stepped into an alien planet Yes. and, uh, absolutely life-changing, mm-hmm. not for the faint of heart. Definitely not. It was a, it was an Indiana Jones yeah. level adventure. Yeah. There was a couple of people that, uh, on Instagram, just in my DMs, they're like, oh, your vacation looks so fun. Or like referring to it as a vacation, which, you know, pe- I don't expect people to know exactly what we're doing and everything. But in my head, I was like, oh, no, no, this isn't a vacation. No. This is an expedition, an excursion, an adventure of a lifetime. But it was, it was like actual work. <laughs> oh, long, I mean, 10 to 12 hour days. Yeah. We're going four to five hours of sleep. Mm-hmm. Uh, we stayed at incredible resorts and had had uh, you know really awesome infrastructure that supported our travels. You know between buses and planes and boats, hot air balloons, <laughs> but everything else was like so intense. Yeah. Um, if we would have if we would have you know done, I don't even know if we could have done one more thing over the course of three <laughs> weeks. And if there's something we missed in Egypt, I'd be surprised. Yeah. Like, I don't know if we could have fit any more sites into our time there. Totally. And uh, we're going to do an entire episode on yeah. the trip, the biggest takeaways, um, obviously promoting the incredible masters of ancient civilizations, Egypt, um, really esoteric spiritual concepts all roped into this uh, travel experience that we had. Uh, on an episode and so that is to come and that'll be that'll be on video which probably worth mentioning uh, we are launching a youtube channel where all of our shows will have full video um, in the kind of in between phase as we have episodes backlogged um, there'll be a little bit of slow rolling yeah uh, where we where we have this couple months where it's like all right there might be some episodes that are audio only um, and then we'll have the video yeah. episodes before we can really kind of transition yeah. into full video. You got to build up a bank 
yeah. of the the video episodes while because they take it takes time. Yep. Yep. But yes, stay tuned for the Egypt episode coming in the next few weeks or so. Um, but today's episode uh, is all about our most impactful, most significant reads, the books that we've read in 2022. So each of us are sharing three impactful books um, that have really um, contributed to our lives. And we just uh, want to share with our community because you all are like-minded in your growth orientation. Totally. There's, I mean, if you go to Audible or you look at like book recommendations, it's overwhelming. Yeah. Uh, it's like, where do we even start? <laughs> Especially in the self-development, personal development, relationship, um, health. Like there are infinite books yeah. and a lot of them quality and a lot of them bullshit. Like honestly, they're, they're terrible. And so I have always been really grateful for the people that I look up to when they share the books mm -hmm. that they are reading and consuming and giving feedback. And uh, that's what we wanted to do today. I mean, we're at least reading a book every two weeks, um, whether yeah, or that be listening. or listening, audible or, or physically reading or reading together. And, and so we've got a, a plethora of options over the course of the last year. Um, and these are a few that, that have stood out. Mm -hmm. Um, of course, there's there's other ones that I didn't include that are really fun for me. Like I, I have the occasional uh, escapism type book, and and usually that pertains to like maybe it's a sports book, or I read a really cool uh, book about the history of Saturday Night Live, um, and some of those are really nice to escape. Mm -hmm. But for the sake of today's episode, it's like ones that you can read and pretty pretty confidently know that it's gonna up level. Your yeah. Life. Yeah. That if you embody the tools and the information in the book, that it's going to contribute to uh, um, contribute to your life in a meaningful way. Yep. Yep. But before we get into books, I want to know, my love, what you got going on in your cup? In my cup. Of course, I've got mushy love mm -hmm. cinnamon swirl latte. If you don't know, you should. <laughs> By uh, now. <laughs> it's been crushing it since uh, August. August. And um, we're getting just amazing feedback. You know, best latte we've ever had, best, mu best mushroom latte I've ever had. Tastes delicious. People feeling the benefits of hydration, digestion, immunity. And um, it, it makes that validating, of course, but not even needed because I love it so much. Yeah. I have it multiple <laughs> times per day. There's no caffeine, so it makes it totally okay to have multiple times per day. It's my first cup. It's, my, it's a cup in the afternoon for me. And um, I, I love it straight up with hot water, a little splash of uh, raw milk. But how I'm having it right now is actually with a little hot water. And then I've added, because we are back from Egypt where we completely wrecked our microbiomes, <laughs> we, we drank, the water in Egypt is not clean. It's not that we were drinking the water there because of that, um, but it gets into your system. It, yeah. it's, it's used to wash the, the vegetables and the fruit that you eat. It, you're showering in it, you're washing your hands in it, and it's what the locals refer to as mummy tummy. Yes. Uh, which is another name for chronic diarrhea. <laughs> yeah, and so we, we literally had explosive diarrhea for three straight weeks. <sighs> and so now I'm in the process of restoring the gut uh, authenticity, if you will, the, mm -hmm. the sacredness of my gut. And I'm doing that with um, a, an absolute companion of ours. All supplements from this brand I support. Uh, it, it is the brand Bioptimizers, and I'm consuming specifically the Biome 
breakthrough, which is specifically meant for leaky gut. And I don't have leaky gut necessarily. That we know of. That I know of. But my gut is a mess. So I'm going to read actually off the label so that I can speak to it accurately. But Biome Breakthrough is a vegetarian-friendly, gluten-free, and dairy-free blend of gut-friendly bacteria designed to improve digestive function and promote overall GI health. It's been shown in studies to improve gastrointestinal integrity. That, that was the word I was looking for, integrity, not authenticity. By increasing beneficial flora, reducing inflammation in the gut, and reducing permeability of the gut wall. It has been shown to work along the entire length of the GI tract. And I love this stuff. I, I use it often. It's The reason you can mix it so well with something like a latte is because this specific flavor is vanilla. And it tastes like cake. It tastes like, yeah, it tastes like birthday cake flavor. Like the first time we had it, our eyes got wide and we were like, what the hell yep. is this? Like this is actual cake powder. Yeah. And it's um, the, the thing that's great is like digestive uh supporting fibers actually have a really great taste to them so this one specifically has organic inulin which is actually on its yeah. own really good tasty and then bioptimizers they're complete masters of formulation uh, both from a taste standpoint and an efficacy standpoint uh, they also throw in a stevia leaf and a little vanilla flavor uh, they have a chocolate version of this too um, super high quality tastes delicious and nothing but uh, support for yeah. a healing gut. We're also from the same company, Bioptimizers. We've also been just downing the P3OM, yeah. which again is is more uh, gut support and specifically, um, it's uh, it's it's a probiotic. Yep. So, um, yeah, we we've been downing that and just really focusing on uh, reestablishing the integrity, like you said, of our gut. Uh, we, we went to Egypt pretty well off, like pretty healthy, but yeah. like there's no way to avoid the onslaught of mommy tummy. Like everyone in our group, which was like, you'll hear more details about this when we get into our Egypt episode, but everyone in our group, which was like 50 plus people were dealing with mommy tummy. And, um, I was just really grateful that we were able to bring high quality products along with us to make the transition back uh, a little easier. Totally. And I think, you know, we were able to do everything despite having chronic diarrhea. Most others in the group had to take breaks. Like they literally couldn't spend a day away from the toilet. And uh, I'm confident that we, if we wouldn't have had had the support, you know, we had uh Masszymes, which are the digestive enzymes from bioptimizers. We had P3OM, the, the probiotic complex, and uh, in, in addition to some other like products like magnesium and um, a bunch of medicinal mushrooms, Mushy Love, AHCC, it really kept us capable of yeah. doing everything. Yeah, I'm glad we were never completely down for the count totally. like other people. But but if you guys are interested in, in bioptimizers at all, I highly suggest um, checking them out. Uh, we have code MEDICINE. It gets you 10% off. And then, of course, if you are listening, you know that the code MEDICINE is going to get you 10% off Mushy Love at getmushylove.com. So if you haven't tried it out, try it out. Uh, and if you have and you're not subscribed, you can actually get it for like 20% uh, less by just subscribing. If you mm -hmm. subscribe, it's about 38 bucks or you can buy at one time for 48. Both You're of talking which, about Mushy Love. Mushy Love. Both of which are just wildly affordable if you do any sort of um, 
analysis of what it what it costs to buy a high quality mushroom product. Mm-hmm. Oh, and we've got at least two to three times more yes. medicinal mushrooms at least in Mushy Love. So if that's not enough for you, hit me up directly and I'll uh, tell you even more benefits. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. What about you? Going on in your cup? What's in it? <laughs> um, well, similarly, I uh, have the uh, beautiful, delicious Mushy Love mixed with the Organifi Harmony. I love this mixture. The, the cinnamon swirliness of the Mushy Love mixed with the rich chocolatey flavor of the uh, Organifi Harmony is such a good pairing. And I have it with um, some hot water and then also some steamed raw milk. And yeah, the combination is freaking delicious. Organifi Harmony, again, Organifi masters the formulation process, like so good. Um, and uh, it's it's really beneficial for women and men, but for hormonal support. So it has a bunch of different nutrients and micronutrients um, to help your body uh, in the production of hormones and balancing hormones. Of course, we can't make any claims, but um, I've talked to women who have started to incorporate harmony in their uh, in their daily routine, and they claim they say that it has completely helped things like um, period cramps and things like that. So um, definitely check out. Organifi Harmony, if you have not, if you're a chocolate lover like me, it's definitely worth trying out. And of course, my code, our code, MimiFit, M-I-M-I-F-I-T, is always good for at least 20% off all Organifi products. Super delicious. And it just is like very, um, we got our tree today. Yeah. We're, we're going to uh, celebrate and we're going to um, decorate after we do this podcast and I'm super excited. And so it's just adding to the coziness of um, our decorating day. Absolutely. If anybody is wanting uh, some Christmas movie, corny Christmas movie recommendations, uh, please hit us up. We spent many, many hours on airplanes yeah. And uh, we're only able to uh, mentally handle a certain <laughs> threshold of yeah. of intelligence when it comes to yeah. the, you know, movies that we were watching. Yeah. So we defaulted and chose the corniest Christmas movies possible because after all the things that we were learning and contemplating in Egypt, we could only handle corny Christmas movies. Yeah. With that, we've been through about five or six movies and have had an incredible batting average. Yeah. Because these movies, uh, if you are like us and have a passion for bad Christmas movies, have been ideal we might even do a bonus episode on how to evaluate corny (laughs) christmas movies and 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 how we can guide people towards the right ones a lot of actually a lot of the the movies at least i would say three or four of them thus far like we get into it and we're like oh this is going to be great it's such you know corny christmas movie and then we get into it and we're like this is actually Actually good. good yeah this is actually good plot good acting good cinematography and we're like we need a little more corn going on maybe we'll put out a poll um on social to see if anybody would want to hear the the, the real strategy behind (laughs) what it takes to to find a good corny christmas movie um but or or you guys can just let us know hit us up dm us we have an ongoing list we do we have an ongoing list uh breaking down the movies that we watch and we we share it with our our brother and sister-in-law and we just have it ongoing. So we have last year's list and this year's list. So if you guys need a good corny Christmas movie list, 
Hit us up, DM us. We'll send it to you directly. Perfect. Love it. All right, guys, we're going to go through. Each one of us have chosen three books that we read in 2022. And uh, we're going to spend some time going through a general summary of the book. Um, and then maybe more importantly, what our biggest takeaways are, mm -hmm. as well as a quote that we pulled from the book. Definitely don't want to be full spoiler alert on some of these because we're encouraging people to yeah. actually listen <laughs> or, uh, or listen or read. Um, so there might be more uh, that seems desired and that's okay. That's yeah. the intention. Yeah. Um, I also can't take credit for some of the or for, for all of the summarization of these books. Mm -hmm. Some of them I read in January. And so as I was putting together kind of the notes for the show, I was able to consolidate a few different, you know, from Goodreads and from, you know, even like book the back reviews. of the book. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So some of these words are not my own, um, although I would say at least 60% of them are. Yeah, I did the same thing where, um, you know, breaking down the summary, it's it's um, it's nice just to be able to take from the actual book itself and and uh, online resources. Yep. So I'll jump in here to start first book that I read in 2022. This one was so fun and, oh, and wildly so resonating. It is Comedy, Sex, God by Pete Holmes. It's, to give a summary, this book is part autobiography, part comedic relief, part philosophical and spiritual reflections from Pete Holmes, who is a stand-up comedian and very, very successful podcaster. Comedy, Sex, God is enlightening and like deeply resonating life story for me. Um, and it's, it's just narrated by the absolutely hilarious Pete Holmes. He, like I said, stand-up comedian, he hosts the You Made It Weird podcast, which was actually a really big inspiration for me, uh, to become a podcaster, to start dipping my toes into the esoteric and spirituality. Cause there's this mainstream celebrity of sorts who is open and honest and specifically bringing on celebrities to talk about spirituality. Growing up, Pete was actually raised evangelical Christian, where his religion taught him that being uh, quote-unquote bad, you know, smoking, drinking, um, having doubts about, about God, uh, even like premarital sex, masturbation, porn, that all of these things would actually damn him to an eternity in hell. Woof. So, as you guys know, we've talked about this community and this this culture a lot of evangelical Christianity. And as many of us do in that culture, we just live a life of fear and guilt. Mm -hmm. And and we're terrified of the God that we love. And, that, and that's kind of the, the beginning of this book is that he's just constantly trying to be the best Christian that he possibly can be all while still being human and doing these things that are damning him to hell. And so he just has tremendous shame and guilt. The way that he describes it is absolutely hilarious, um, but it's also like kind of deep level sad. Pete describes how he devoted his entire life to being good, constantly praying and wondering if he had done enough or said enough to ultimately be forgiven for all of his sins. He even married his first girlfriend at the age of 22, only to then discover years later that their relationship was a complete mess and that she'd actually cheated on him. As he likes to say, uh, thanks for nothing, God. <laughs> like, he, I did everything right, yeah. and this is what I get. Pete's failed attempt at a picture-perfect life forced him to re-examine his beliefs. He ventured through, like many of us have, atheism and scientific materialism, and eventually, through the use of psychedelics, 
led him to a spiritual transformation of sorts. Pete describes how leaving religion only led to uncertainties about the universe, but he has found comfort in the soul-seeking journey of living out the answers to the biggest questions that he continues to have this day, to like to this day. Beyond like just his upbringing, it was his early marriage and his divorce, um, his encounters with psychoactive substances, interactions with you know crazy fun friends. He talks about Duncan Trussell a lot. Uh, and, and bottoming out in his life only to then find his real passion, which ended up being like comedy and podcasting for him. Um, he spent time with a mentor, very specifically his guru, Ram Das. And all of this felt deeply relatable to my own journey. It's like he's the bizarro like version of my life in a lot of ways. Uh, I would say that he was kind of a nerd growing mm-hmm. up. Um, you know, theater and, and some of the more like stereotypical nerdy type things where I was more of the jock archetype. Although you did do theater. I did do theater. Yeah. We both did. But all in all, like just the, the chords of his life that were played just are very, very familiar. And this was therapeutic mm-hmm. for me. So as, as I transitioned into the biggest takeaway, it, it's really that it's validation for me. Um, and the life that I've been through and lived, there were deep insights and revelations of what that really incredibly unhealthy evangelical Christian culture uh, meant that I really hadn't thought about in a long, long time. You know, you bury a lot of these things Uh and it takes someone to retell those stories to be like, Oh my God. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. That was really buried deeply. And the most beautiful part about it, is that I was able to look and reflect on those things in a light and fun and funny way because they were done in such a way that there was a comedic spin to them. They seem a little less painful, a little less traumatic to relive because of the way that Pete tells mm-hmm. the story. And I would say too, um, I listened to this book as well. And even though, you know, I, I he gives a lot of uh, perspective and experience from from his perspective as a young man and a you know a guy growing up in the church, and so some of the things uh, were different because I'm a woman, but ninety five percent of it landed the exact same way because again, it's just highlighting the very unhealthy but deep, yeah, deep run purity culture that you know, for me in my thirties, I'm still untangling, you know, I'm still having to rewire these deep tendrils that were, you know, really set in from a very young age. So, um, even as a woman, I absolutely loved this book and it, it really, really resonated with me as well. Laugh out loud moments when he's talking about, you know, being a a horny teenager and mm-hmm. having to deal with the guilt of the thoughts that yeah. he was having, you know, he, he and, and you can totally relate as a guy, especially, but like he'd see a cloud that would be shaped in a particular way that might look like a, like, you know, like yeah. a butt yeah. or like <laughs> boobs or something. Yeah. And like, even that, when you're so tortured as a teenager, the, you get horny from looking at clouds. Yeah. And yeah. like, <laughs> it was just hilarious. And then same with his, um, as he started to follow Ram Dass and go to his retreats and just the, the, going from evangelical Christianity into wildly spiritual and psychedelic communities um, also feels really relatable as we've kind of mm-hmm. been to Burning Man and we hang out with Paul Check and, and, and that community often. 
Um, it's, it's just super, super funny to hear his commentary on that whole process. Uh, so one quote that I pulled out from the book that I love is, quote, my literal belief in the Bible wasn't saving me, showing me the light or setting me free. It was causing me pain. It took me over three decades to realize you're not supposed to think about paintings, flowers, or God. You're supposed to merge with them. Now, God isn't something I believe in. It's something I feel all of us soaking in. Mm, that's so good. Yeah. I love that. And, and said in just, you know, sometimes you hear from like philosophers and you're like, wow, that's a cool quote, but I don't... I, it almost doesn't seem natural or normal. Uh, mm. One of the things I loved about Pete's take on all of this and really deep spiritual and philosophical concepts is that he articulates them in a way as if you're just sitting across the dinner table bullshitting with your friend. Yeah, totally. It's it's so relatable for sure. And so who would I say this book is for? Why should people read it? Anyone who grew up in American religious culture, especially if it's evangelical Christian. If you grew up with guilt or shame or... An, an unallowance to question whether any of all any of it was true, uh, whether you felt guilt for sexual thoughts or behavior, this is the book for you. Mm -hmm. It's a comedic therapy. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah. And again, a, a man or woman, like, and I would say even if you grew up like Muslim or um, Catholic, Mormon. Mormon, like, it doesn't have to be evangelical Christianity. Like even if some of the exact teachings and things that he talks about, like are different than how you grew up, the themes yeah. will land for sure. Yep. Yeah. Love that book. And I would definitely, I don't know if it comes in paperback or like yeah. a hard yeah, copy does. or whatever, mm -hmm. but I would highly recommend listening to yeah. the book on audible. He reads it and it is, I think that if I, if I had read it, like uh, in like physical copy it would have been a different experience it would have still been good but hearing his voice and his inflection yeah and how he uh delivers things is 10 out of 10 hilarious laugh out loud so good totally all, all right. right i want to hear your book first book yes if you've been playing around with the thought of Botox for forehead lines or crow's feet, or just frustrated by your acne scars, listen up, my love. ClearStem just brought back their no Botox repair serum that tells your skin to repair itself and generate new healthy collagen. This has quickly become my favorite of their products, and here's why. The blend of growth factors, peptides, and collagen-derived stem cells immediately feeds your skin what it needs to bounce back from internal stress, UV damage, acne scars, and other environmental aging triggers. Bounce Back is perfect for anyone who wants to avoid Botox, prolong the results of their existing Botox, prevent further lines from forming, and those of us who deal with deeper acne scarring. These ingredients are the real deal and as always, hormone-friendly and non-pore clogging. Completely corrective and targeted for skin repair. You will notice your skin visibly smoother, brighter, and healthier looking in just a few uses. I personally use Bounce Back once a day, usually in the morning, followed by ClearStem's Hydro Glow 
moisturizer. To get your lovely little hands on some bounce back or any of the anti-acne, anti-aging, truly clean Clearstem products, go to clearstemskincare.com and use the code Mimi for a nice hefty discount or check it out in our medicine cabinet linked in the show notes. You and your skin are going to love this stuff. So the first book I'm going to be sharing with you guys is Sacred Contracts by Caroline Mace. And so for a summary, um, first, Caroline Mace is a five-time New York Times bestselling author and internationally renowned speaker in the fields of human consciousness, spirituality and mysticism, health, energy medicine, and the science of medical intuition. Caroline has found that when people don't understand their purpose in life, the result can be depression, anxiety, fatigue, and eventually physical illness. In short, a spiritual malaise of epidemic proportions. So Mesa's experience of working with people led her to develop an insightful and ingenious process for deciphering your own sacred contract or higher purpose using a new theory of archetypes that builds on the works of Jung, Plato, and many other contemporary thinkers. So in this book, Sacred Contracts, Mace examines the lives of a few different spiritual masters, Abraham, Jesus, Buddha, and Muhammad, whose archetypal journeys illustrate the four stages of a sacred contract, and she provides clues for discovering your own sacred contracts. So she explains how you can identify your particular spiritual energies or archetypes, as she calls them. And these are really the gatekeepers of your higher purpose and how you can use them to help you find out what you are here on earth to learn and whom you are meant to meet. So in this book, you're exploring your sacred contract that it really shines a light on the purpose and meaning of your life. You are meant to do certain tasks. You are meant to have certain relationships. And I'll get into a little bit more about um, about the actual structure of the book. It's a really, really quick read or quick listen. It was like four hours listening. And so it was, it's pretty short, pretty digestible, but it is, it's packed. And so... Um, you know, speaking to like my biggest takeaway or takeaways, I had a big like aha moment um, when listening to this book as Caroline paints this picture of what she calls the divine beginning or the divine descent. And this is really like the point before we incarnate into our current life that we're living today, where our soul is floating up in the cosmos in some other higher dimension or higher realm, and it's deciding which lessons it wants to have the chance to learn and master in this particular lifetime. So she paints this picture. It's really great. Uh, in the first chapter, I think she paints this picture of your soul in this higher realm and you're deciding what lessons you want to master and who uh, who are going to be people in your life or other souls that are part of your sacred contract. And so she says like, okay, you're talking to your angel that's helping you figure this out. And you're, you, you say to your angel, okay, in this lifetime, 
I'd like to master the knowledge uh, and the experience of forgiveness. This is just one of the examples. So you say that to your angel. Okay, forgiveness. She's like, okay, great, perfect. Let's do it. So in order for you to master forgiveness, you're going to need something big to forgive, right? Okay, let's see if we can find another soul who can go into this life with you and together you can create circumstances for you to master forgiveness. And as she explains this, it's all with the air of neutrality. Both positive and negative experiences are basically chosen ahead of time for you to interact with certain other souls and learn certain lessons. So it, from the soul's perspective, it's not like good and bad experiences. It's all just, hey, what do I want to learn? What do I want to master in this lifetime? So in this uh, imagery of, you know, speaking to your angel and figuring your soul, figuring out what you want to learn. Um, the angel's like, okay, great. You need to find another soul that can help you learn forgiveness and they're going to have to do something to you or, you know, something's going to have to happen in your life that you're going to have to forgive. And so, um, then you match up with another soul who's going in on with, uh, in on this with you. And then you, together you make a sacred contract and then drink from the river of forgetfulness so that you, you know, when you incarnate, it's a, it's a clean slate. It's a blank slate. You don't know what you're here to learn. It slowly uncovers and unravels as you move through your life. And so you are realizing the lessons and um, really your divine potential that you're here to embody. And uh, Caroline says, you're here to fill the unknown with yourself. And I love that because when we come into, when we, I, I like to think of it this way, as we incarnate into this life, it's just pure potential, yeah. right? It's just a blank <clears throat> slate. And there's so much unknown that I love this imagery of filling the unknown with yourself and filling your belly yeah. with the unknown. And the reason this, and she goes on later in the book to then talk about um, these spiritual masters and how their sacred contracts unfolded, because these are all people of history or figures in history that we all are somewhat, you know, uh, familiar with. And so she unravels their life in a way that you can be like, oh, okay, I see that how that was their sacred contract. And then you can apply those same concepts to your life. So the reason that this was impactful for me is because looking at it this way that we all have sacred contracts that are sort of decided by us for us before we incarnate offers so much more meaning and insight to the circumstances, events, and relationships in our life, both positive and quote unquote negative. In choosing to see the series of my life events as a result of these described sacred contracts unfolding and unraveling, the unknown feels less scary, it feels lighter, and it's filled with so much more potential for my own growth. Because it's not just a series of random mishaps or lucky encounters. It's like, what if my soul chose all of this before I even got here. So it doesn't necessarily negate or take away um, difficult experiences that we come across in our life. But if you choose to think about it in the way of sacred contracts, it, it just gives so much more meaning 
to the experiences and then you can really like dig into hey what is this event or experience that's part of my sacred contract what is this trying to teach me like is this one of the major lessons that I I, I wanted to learn and um, she has a quote here where she says just let go let go of how you thought your life should be and embrace the life that is trying to work its way into your consciousness and think of your sacred contract as a life path in which you are meant to learn many lessons. And uh, this ties in with other books that we've read, you know, the law of one talking about catalytic experiences in our life that help us to grow and evolve spiritually. It also ties into uh, another book that we've talked about on the podcast, I think multiple times, Many Lives, Many Masters, you know, talking about reincarnation and this process of we are a soul here on this uh, spiritual kindergarten that is Mm -hmm. earth. And we're here to experience and learn and evolve um, spiritually. And we do that through the events of our life that unfold. Our life is not meant to be 100% positive. It's not meant to be 100% sunshine and roses and daisies and unicorns. Or 100% known. Right. Exactly. The the veil of forgetting or the river of forgetting. You're going to have problems in this book if you get hung up on, on, on taking it literally. Like it's, it's metaphorical and it's beautiful. And sure, you, if you're comfortable with the literal explanations that she's giving you of kind of this reincarnative process, great but yeah. it, it also gets people hung up because they they call it airy fairy woo and uh just just be very open-minded in yeah. this approach because it's it's really the thing behind the thing here. yeah and she says in the book like i i listened to it on audiobook highly recommend that option um she says like yeah i can't prove this to you with hard evidence and hard data but through her 30 40 years of working with people as a medical uh intuitive um, and, and really diving deep into these, uh, these concepts, <laughs> she says like, yeah, I can't provide proof, but <laughs> if we don't know, you have two options looking at the life, looking at your life events and circumstances as happenstance, as something that just happens to you. And it's just all like random. Oh, that's not going to get you very far in your spiritual evolution versus like taking on this this concept of these the sacred contracts and that it's here to actually help you grow and and lean into these lessons like which path is going to is going to provide more um meaning and comfort as you navigate hard or difficult experiences in your life like obviously the latter right Mm -hmm. so that's what I'm choosing for my life and uh, it's not always easy but um, I definitely think it's the path of someone who's wanting to evolve spiritually is like this really really um, helps in that manner so who you know should read this who is this book for I think this book would be great for anyone who loves seeking deeper meaning or who is interested in discovering their life archetypes which I didn't really get into that much Um, she goes deep into archetypes explaining what an archetype is and how we can identify the um, potential archetypes that are are wanting to be expressed in our life and how to really embrace them um, and, and she does it in a, in a really nice um, kind of like modern 
narrative compared to like Jung, who's kind of the the godfather of archetypes or, mm-hmm. or Joseph Campbell, which can be, it can seem really far out there. Yeah. Um, but she does it in kind of like a, a way that's super digestible. And it's one of those things that, yes, it's complex, but when you hear it and study it, it feels as if you've known this for a long yeah, time. Yeah. Yeah. It clicks yeah. because like archetypes are the fabric of human existence it they they just they are the um universal language of how we experience life really um so at the end of the book caroline shares how to cast your what she calls archetype wheel which is super fascinating um and we actually had the chance to do this with our good friend greg schmaus who has been on the podcast before he's been a student of caroline mace for a long time and he's really mastered this um this technique of casting your archetype wheel and it was so interesting because he randomly like reached out to us because we had like shared a little bit about um sacred contracts when we interviewed him and he was like hey do you guys want to cast your wheels together and we were like hell yeah this sounds great so we did that with him and uh, he's helped many many friends and clients to cast their archetype wheel it was such a cool experience that we actually asked greg to come back on the podcast and lead our listeners through the practice as well. So this book, Sacred Contracts, would be a really, um, really great prerequisite to that episode yeah, with Greg. Definitely, um, I highly recommend the audiobook because I know Caroline is a, is an amazing author, but she's I think an even better teacher. Yeah, she's got a spunky personality. Very like sp- kind of spicy, yeah. and she is like no bullshit, which I really resonate with. Like, you know, there's a lot of spiritual teachers and gurus out there that are very like totally up in the clouds where it just seems like really airy and airy fairy and super woo. And this definitely is like deep spiritual concepts, but she has her feet firmly on the ground and she is like, no BS, like, let's get to the point. How is this going to impact your life? What can you do with it? And kind of this like, um, like, uh, a, like your favorite teacher in high school that was no BS that really liked you, but wasn't going to let you get away with telling yourself stories. Yeah. Like she's that kind of teacher. So highly recommend for anyone, um, that this is resonating with. And, uh, again, highly recommend the audiobook version. Dope. Yeah. All right. All right. My next book, no more Mr. Nice guy by Dr. Robert Glover. So jumping into the summary on this, um, this one is really about what what Dr. Glover calls the nice guy syndrome. And he starts out the book explaining a little bit about what that means and how we've gotten to this point where there is this nice guy syndrome. And I think it's extremely relevant in 2022. You know, we're a couple years into the Me Too movement, which has had, a you know, a really incredible, powerful impact on holding men accountable for their behavior, but at the same time has put good men on eggshells. Mm-hmm. Um, and this this really isn't just from the last few years. This has been going on since really the 60s and since the, uh, again, amazing opportunity that women uh, took to step up and and bring their personal power back into uh, their lives. And uh, so much of the good uh, has has resulted in, in women with more equal opportunities in the workplace and uh, more legitimate roles in the family dynamic. 
um, broken out of these positions that they've been put in um, to be just like taker, taking care of the home and the kids. While this has happened, um, there is a subset of men who have been fearful of disrespecting that movement. Mm-hmm. And by doing so, have defaulted to what we consider the nice guy syndrome. Add to that absentee fathers. Uh, we've dealt with a hundred plus years of absentee fathers. If you go back to like the industrial revolution, men started working ungodly hours. They physically weren't at home, physically not able to uh, mentor their sons. When they were home, they were physically and emotionally exhausted from just grinded out brutal work and we're emotionally absent so we've got generations now of men who have not seen strong balanced masculinity in the home compounded by the fact that men are generally kind of criticized for the the patriarchal dominance that legitimately um, has been a problem and so there is a subset of men who are for legitimate reasons, trying to seem nice to everyone and do no harm. Well, that seems like it should be the way it should be, right? Like that seems like normal. But some men tend to over-deliver when it comes to being nice and are inhibiting their personality just to avoid this conflict. When being good to people implies harming yourself, this is where it becomes an issue. And Mm -hmm. this is kind of the, the point of this book. While kindness is a positive characteristic, seeking validation from others is actually a toxic trait that should be eliminated at all costs. So Dr. Glover goes into techniques in the No More Mr. Nice Guy book, um, which is essentially to teach you how to stop over-pleasing people, to build stronger character, and avoid having others take advantage of you. He describes what he calls the nice guy syndrome as a condition where men appear to be always nice, and always trying to avoid conflict. And in the first part of the book, he goes in to describe uh, that nice guys in the way that they operate, unfortunately, approach life in a way that will prevent them from reaching their goals. Like, if their approach is to avoid conflict, it will do more damage than good. The, the real premise is that childhood and society have conditioned nice guys to act in this way. They've been told that they will only be successful if they make everyone happy and they don't produce any conflict. That said, this desire for approval results in complete self-loathing. Nice guys want approval, but don't think they deserve to speak their truth, to speak their needs. This creates internal frustration since nice guys really never get to obtain exactly what they want, which is the, kind of the core of masculinity is 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 the freedom to, to choose what you want. And a nice guy's desire to obtain approval from everyone, but, but specifically women, can cause him to behave in completely counterintuitive ways. These behaviors include dishonesty about themselves, about what they do, about their, their uh, goals in life, and really passive-aggressive behavior, uh, which, which causes, especially in a relationship, being emotionally unavailable, um, forgetting about things that are seemingly important, being late, not following through, uh, sexual compulsions. And so Dr. Glover's prescription involves engaging nice guys to recognize that their needs and desires are essential. To make others happy, they must first learn to make themselves happy. 
One of the best ways to seek happiness is to learn to embrace and develop your masculine traits instead of fearing and suppressing them. It makes me think of, uh, pause there for a second. It makes me think of like the guys that are depicted in movies and TV shows. And certainly we've all known at least one or two of them in our life who always gets friend zone, friend zone, friend zoned. Like every woman that he is interested in somehow finds a way to friend zone him, even though he's, a great guy. He's a great friend. He would treat them well and he does treat them well. There's something that's yeah. off that women can pick up on intuitively um, that there's something just out of balance that isn't making them a uh, a suitable mate. Yeah. And, and I was going to get into some of these, these characteristics and it, that's exactly it. It's the friend zone. And these men, he, he's worked with thousands of men on on this nice guy protocol. He's actually created groups of nice guys, and he's got hundreds of groups around the country that have men's specific support groups to work through this programming. And some of these traits are, like you're mentioning, really seemingly supportive behavior. Um, this is the dad that cooks and cleans and takes the kids to soccer, and, and they're super dialed in. And he supports the entire household. Um, it, it's it's a traditionally feminine role, but he's serving every aspect of that that dynamic. Um, it's the men who are doing everything they can in the workplace to uh, get a passing grade. It's the straight A students who uh, need to be validated by their report card instead of doing the things that they love. In the bedroom, it's men who are obsessed with making their partner orgasm instead of understanding their own pleasure. And I realize there's a counter to all this in toxic masculinity, which is the exact opposite. Yeah. But this is kind of the other end of the spectrum. And so he, he throughout the book, layers in solutions, uh, just to name a few. He, he kind of goes through them in these, in these steps. And so I encourage everybody, if this is interesting, uh, to learn, to, to look into it more. He talks about reclaiming your personal power and your own masculinity. He talks about the kind of standards that you must have in in selecting a partner, selecting an occupation, uh, where you live, what you do. He really talks about speaking and the language that you use and how to speak with conviction. Uh, To stop saying yes to so much, to everything. Stop scorekeeping your deeds. Like a classic example of the nice guy is that they can convince themselves that they're doing enough by keeping score of all the good things that they do. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, in relationship, in the in the relationship you have with your employer, it builds to resentment and anger because you start to have an expectation that that other person or that other party will also uh, mm-hmm. re- reply with good deeds, if you will. But you're uh, kind of like making yourself a doormat. Totally. Yeah. He he teaches a lot about avoiding. Uh, or not avoiding, but but confronting the fear of confrontation. Uh, make your needs a priority. Set boundaries and choose a partner who does not need a considerable considerable amount of support. A, a common characteristics uh, characteristic is nice guys will find a partner I- intentionally who's got issues because they don't have enough confidence in themselves to, and, and so they tell themselves the story. I can make them better. I can fix them. I'll never disappoint them because they're a mess. Mm-hmm. And it's this kind of lowering the bar so that you can f- seem successful. 
Um, and then fixing the mindset around sex. Again, a lot of this is around making sure that your your partner is pleased sexually, which leads to eventually disappointment because you can't take complete ownership of somebody yeah. else's pleasure. And so actually this trickles into uh, affairs or pornography addiction mm. because the pressure of pleasing your wife becomes so much that the fear of that failure pulls them away from engaging in the act of sex with their partner and they have cases that he goes through of sex with prostitutes and sex with pornography or complete uh, avoidance of any sexual act altogether because of the, the trauma that they've created over this relationship to the idea of sex. Yeah, it's crazy when as you're speaking to this, not necessarily around the sex because I, I don't really know for sure there, but um, as you're speaking, like I'm just getting a wave of like memories of my own dad yeah. and how he didn't ever want to rock the boat with my narcissistic malignant stepmother so he was just like laying himself down as a doormat to not to just make sure that she was happy all the time and it was like it was it wasn't helpful or healthy to anyone for them especially but also like within the yeah. family it didn't yeah. it did not create safety and um health as a, a pinnacle for relationships it was just like he was just a doormat totally yep and Dr. Glover's gotten some heat for this book um, because it is asking men to step into, you know, not niceness. But it really is not doesn't have to be uh, considered not nice as much as it is just being yourself and identifying yourself. Big takeaway for me. I definitely don't think I'm a, a nice guy in the way that he defines it in the book, uh, thankfully. But I think I do people please. And uh, I think I have have definitely stifled my needs at times for the sake of keeping people happy and especially when it comes to the women that i care about in my life mm -hmm. this builds resentment and bitterness within myself i i know this well and i start to tell myself stories like they owe me or mm. you know what considering what i've done for them yeah. and what i've sacrificed for them I, I i have very much told myself that story in life and especially as it pertains to my relationships to the women that i care about the state of avoiding conflict at all cost, preferring to show only my nice sides to the women in my life, thinking that this will, you know, somehow keep me seeming safe to them, stable to them, secure, and then thus trustworthy of their love and attention, actually affects me negatively, stifles my own personality, my own masculinity, preventing my needs from being seen and met, and from achieving the full potential that I have to be as a man. It is actually an act of selfishness, selfishness in the form of self-preservation and absorption. So, big takeaways for me, when there's a need, speak it or take care of it yourself. If something bothers you, speak up. Don't agree to just stop the conflict. Mm -hmm. Make others respect you by putting yourself first and setting boundaries. And get rid of toxic inner beliefs. I uh, love this quote. By trying to please everyone, nice guys will often please no one, including themselves. Why or who should read this book? If you are a man feeling like you are doing all of the right things, externally calm and kind, but internally building resentment and frustration, even if it's in one lane of your life, this book could be really helpful. Like, if you do not feel heard or seen, especially by women, this will be helpful. I also think this would be helpful for women to read. Like, do you really want a nice, well-behaving man 
or would you prefer someone who is balanced enough and feels free enough to actually choose strong, stable behavior that may or may not feel nice, but will be right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, I can see how this, this guy, this author would maybe get some heat, especially from women. Um, you know, when you're, when you're talking about this, it's not, it's not that you swing from being an extreme nice guy to a complete asshole. Like that's not what he's recommending. It's getting in the middle. It's getting balanced and understanding your needs are valid and acquiring tools to communicate them effectively to the women in your life and the other people that are around you, your friends, your coworkers, things like that, where it's like, no, I am here. I have value and uh, really establishing like, self-love from within and then like radiating that out it's not like just about being an asshole right (laughs) that's not going to get you anywhere either it's like how do we find the happy medium you know yeah and so i i i totally feel this and and i think it could definitely benefit a lot of guys out that out there who are struggling with validating their own needs or communicating those needs to uh the people that they care about Hey, homie, did you hear that Organifi, the creators of the best and most delicious green juice in the world, now has a crisp apple version? You guys, it is so dang good. I love the original green juice, but this may be my new favorite Organifi product. The apple taste isn't too strong. It's just the right amount. So Green Juice Crisp Apple has all the same benefits of the original green juice with a new crisp twist and refreshing taste and only two grams of sugar using organic whole apple sources handpicked from our home state of Washington. Holler! I drink green juice on a daily basis because the clinical dose of ashwagandha really helps support my body's stress response and cortisol levels. And you know what they say, you're either making stress hormones or sex hormones, not both. So green juice really is sexy. To grab your new sexy green juice, crisp apple, go to Organifi.com and remember to use the code MIMIFIT, M-I-M-I-F-I-T at checkout for a hefty 20% off on all your Organifi orders. Cheers and love, boo. Totally. It's a men's book that's really practical. It's really rational. It doesn't talk about divine masculinity, um, but it, it actually is complementary uh, complementary to that type of men's work mm-hmm. and that men's teaching. In fact, perfect segue into the book that you're about to share about. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Wineland references Dr. Glover mm, multiple yeah, times in yeah. this book. I remember you telling me that when you were reading it. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, it's a, it's a great segue into the next book that I was going to talk about, um, which I we've mentioned multiple times in in different po- in different podcast episodes. That is from the core by John Wineland, and uh, as a summary. Men today, like we, we already know this, like yours was a perfect kind of prerequisite to uh, this conversation of, of men facing a crisis of identity. Like, where do I belong? Like, I don't want to be the toxic 
guy, the toxic alpha guy that's pounding his chest and is just like an overgrown boy. Um, but I also don't want to be the nice guy that is the doormat to everyone who's just getting walked all over. Like there is this um, dilemma that men face, I think, in 2022. And we can see how the old paradigm of the patriarchal dominance definitely needs to go. But is the solution really to deconstruct the very idea of masculinity completely out of existence? No, that's obviously not the answer. Um, I think people, when they uh, talk about masculinity, they use it synonymously with toxic masculinity. Right. Masculinity really deserves a new, like a completely new definition. What do we mean by masculinity? What do we want it to mean going forward? And so that's what John uh, gets into in From the Core. So he sets out a clear roadmap for men who want to live, love, and lead from the most profound places within themselves. John writes, we need conscious men to step into their lives more powerfully nobly honor and protect their feminine partners and be a source of healing in their communities. So John Wineland or Johnny Dubs, as we call him, J -dubs. <laughs> is calling out the outdated and oppressive ways of toxic masculinity in offering a new definition of masculinity, one that is rooted in grounded awareness and impact to replace the old empty ways of domination and money-making endless achievement. He breaks the book up into sections um, like leadership and responsibility, the power of your breath, strengthening your nervous system, depth over comfort, dancing with the feminine, make sex an art, and integrating your own feminine. This is, these are just a few of the sections of the book, just to give you an idea of kind of what he speaks to. And as the book that you just talked about, No More Mr. Nice Guy, is very practical. There's not a lot of like spiritual concepts or like divine masculinity, you know, talk. This would be the more spiritual version of how do we get balanced in masculinity. Yep. Um, and so, you know, as a, a, a big takeaway for me, um, I am definitely a feminine being, um, but it was really helpful to get a deeper look into the the weight of responsibility that men carry and what causes many men uh, to numb out and disengage from their family or relationship. It's not just because they're horrible people and they don't want to be a part of their relationship or their, their family ongoings. There's more to the story. And so he really sheds light on what can contribute to that, you know, ep that epidemic of men numbing out and just, you know, sitting with their hand down their pants, watching football and being totally uh, uninspired in life. Um, and so I really believe that if people want to improve their romantic relationships, it takes more understanding and empathy from the beginning. Like shame, blame, judgment, get us nowhere. I, you might be frustrated with your partner, but things are going to go so much more smoothly if you can understand where they might be coming from and what um, what facilitated them getting to where they are. Um, so this per this book is a perfect balance of explaining why men behave the way that they do while also nudging them to basically get their shit together. Yeah. Um, he's he does not go easy on men <laughs> at all. 
um, you know, he really wants to hold them accountable and, um, you know, nudge them to start a solo practice of depth and take responsibility for their reality in their work life, in their friendships, and certainly in their romantic relationships. Um, so by reading this as women, it can help us learn to adopt more effective communication strategies and ultimately support our men in their journey to become more balanced in their masculinity. Um, and I have a quote here that I want to read. John says, don't keep numbing out on the comfort and distractions all around you and expect a feminine being of pristine heart to find you attractive because she won't. Or if she's already in your life, don't expect her to trust you with anything truly life-changing. If you want to attract a devoted partner who will bless you with their radiance and fullness, then you must become who you are meant to be first. This could happen inside or outside of a relationship. What matters is that you must determine what is most crucial for you in life and then go for it. Whether it regards your body, mind, or spirit, you have to create a space and practice that access your innate potency and expand your capacities. That could mean joining a men's group, devoting yourself to martial arts, diving into a crucial mission, or committing to a meditation practice. Whatever it is, you need to commit fully to the purpose and lifestyle you know is burning inside of you and then craft a way of living in which you have no choice but to give everything to it. Mm. And I love this because, you know, for masculinity, for balanced masculinity, you, you've talked about this many times. It really is rooted in your mission, your purpose, your drive in life. Not only will you be filled up in your own being, but that will make you more attractive to your woman or a potential woman. So it really starts with you on an individual level. And so John gives amazing, like so many practices for being able to deepen your to deepen and strengthen your nervous system, along with meditations and breath work and ways that you can start um, harnessing this really deep and balanced masculinity from within you that then radiates out into every relationship in your life. Um, so moving into like, who should read this? Who is this for? Anyone interested in cultivating a more evolved, fulfilling partnership, which I'm sure that's everyone. <laughs> um, and although this book is written by a man for men, like he says, we a lot, you know, referring to men and like speaking to the masculine. But like I said, all of us can benefit from this information in, in this book. And I've said it before. I'll keep saying it. Epic relationships do not just happen. They are intentionally created. And that starts with us understanding more about ourselves and our partners. So novel information like this that he's proposing, um, it really helps us to acquire new tools and then start embodying them as well. Because what I like about this book, I'll, I'll end on this, is that 
you can read a book that gives you a bunch of information, but it's kind of like, okay, well, what do I do with this? Yeah. And he makes it really practical in like, okay, here's the information, here's a meditation, or here's a thought process, or here's a journal prompt, or here's something that you can actually start today in your own solo practice to um, to really grow and and deepen your 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 relationship to the masculine. So. Um, that is from the core and honestly could benefit anyone, man or woman who wants to develop meaningful and deep relationships. Yep. Audiobook is also killer on this one. Yeah. And, um, as complement to this book, episode 143, of the medicine podcast is our interview with John Wineland. We go into some of his foundational teachings, but also some specifics on the book. And he goes into a li- little more and gives you a little more context uh, to some of the things that the key themes and key key core uh, tenets of that book. So much encourage everybody to check that out. Yep. All right. The last book that I'm going to be talking about, uh, this one's a little, put your thinking cap on because <laughs> this one's a little dense and I say that in a good way, mm-hmm. uh, but it's deep and it took me, a, it was a slow read, it took me rereading and highlighting many a thing because um, it is complex. It is thick. It is called The Denial of Death by Ernest Becker. As I summarize this, uh, Becker is a cultural anthropologist searching for explanations of why human society develops in the way that it does. And, and he was particularly interested in why human society is so violent, why different social groups are so intolerant and hateful of each other. Wow, this old book, I think it's from the 70s, and uh, this is more relevant than ever, which is another reason I just, I just was really obsessed with this this, uh, this summer, in fact. He comes to the conclusion that he had found a very important explanatory, explanatory principle uh, for understanding human behavior and human culture. This principle is that human beings are mortal, and deep down, we actually know it. Our sense of vulnerability and morality gives rise, mortality, gives rise to a basic anxiety and terror about our mortality. So we devise all sorts of strategies to escape our vulnerability and awareness of this inevitable death. This psychological denial of death, he says, is one of the most basic drives in individual behavior, and it's reflected throughout the culture. Like, one of the main functions of culture, according to Becker, is to help us successfully avoid the awareness of our mortality. That suppression of awareness plays, uh, in, in, it's, it's actually what keeps people functioning in the way that they do. Because if we were constantly aware of how fragile we were, of the you know seeming nothing nothingness that we're split, like we're literally a split second away from at all times uh, of death, we would actually go crazy. So we find these ways to feel certain that we, that our community, that, that our general realities are a part of, that they're, they're permanent, that they're invulnerable, and that they're eternal. And so in Becker's view, some of the personal and social consequences of this are actually disastrous. We ignore mortality, we ignore our vulnerability, and we build up an unreal sense of self. As members of society, when we tend to identify with an immortality system, he likes to call, uh, which is the religious groups that we see, the political mm. groups that we see, uh, and, and these different groups that we engage in 
uh, for cultural activity or uh, the way that we adopt a certain culturally sanctioned viewpoint. Uh, so we invest with ultimate meaning into these, these areas. We ascribe absolute and permanent truth to these areas. This inflates us with a sense of invulnerable righteousness. And then we have to protect ourselves from being wrong. Mm. So we attack and we degrade. We kill. Uh, we fight the followers of these different belief systems. Wow. So the Protestants kill the Catholics. The Muslims vilify the Christians and vice versa. The Republicans kill the Democrats. Uh, the, the American way is will denounce communism and, and communism uh you know slaughters all individuals in in cambodia and and the spanish inquisition tortures all heretics um you know it's it, and the list goes on and on we we demonize and we call these opposing ideas the source of all evil i mean the list goes freaking on and on <laughs> becker goes on to speak of how it is possible to face up to the human situation the denial of death is not inevitable. He says, and it's actually echoing a phrase from Martin Luther, you must be able to, quote, taste death with the lips of your living body so that you can know emotionally that you are a creature who will die. Mm. He says it's like passing into nothing. Thus, in this process is self-realization. He says, the self is brought down to nothing so that the process of what Becker calls self-transcendence -trans uh, may begin. It's really similar to the individuation process mm -hmm. that, that Jung talks about. Um, it's a beautiful, beautiful read and incredibly complex. Uh, but I'm going to read my quote in, before my biggest takeaway because I think it's important. So the quote that I pull out of this is him specifically describing this, this process of self-transcendence. He says, Man breaks through the bounds of merely cultural heroism. He destroys the character lie that had him perform as a hero in the everyday social, social scheme of things. And by doing so, he opens himself up to infinity, to the possibility of cosmic heroism. He links his secret inner self, his authentic talent, his deepest feelings of uniqueness to the very ground of creation. Out of the ruins of the broken cultural self, there remains the mystery of the private, invisible inner self, which yearned for the ultimate significance. This invisible mystery at the heart of the creature now attains cosmic significance by affirming its connection with the invisible mystery at the heart of creation. Ooh, ooh. Damn, damn, damn. This, my biggest takeaway, this is the meaning of faith. Mm -hmm. Faith is the belief that despite one's insignificance, one's weakness, one's inevitable death, one's existence has meaning in some ultimate sense because it exists within an eternal and infinite scheme of things brought about and maintained to some kind of design by some creative force. It's, it's there. Mm -hmm. There is some intelligence. Mm -hmm. You got two choices. Biggest takeaway for me. One, an inauthentic clinging to the form of religious faith, to a supposed absolute truth of immortality, where you can turn away from the awareness of death and instead claim certain knowledge of eternal meaning, absolute truth, or 
you can find an authentic faith in a, in the mystery of meaning mm-hmm. to taste and embrace one's own mortality and yet still place trust in the mystery that there is an eternal meaning. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It, it kind of goes along with the concept we've talked about before where it's like you stand in front of the ocean and you feel completely insignificant while simultaneously also feeling like a very important cog in the cosmic wheel that is life and existence. It's so trippy to be able to hold those two uh, in balance and like simultaneously that they, that they exist within us. And and that's what I thought of when you were reading this. Yep. Faith is, is super powerful, um, but it's misused. It's placed on, this is a world going back to Caroline Mace. Like we're not going to know the answer. Mm-hmm. And that's the point. The point is not to know. And so the faith is the comfort of finding meaning in the mystery mm-hmm. and, and putting your faith in the fact that I won't know what the purpose of all of this is, but I'm going to continue to be faithful to this seed. That mm-hmm. is my soul and nurture it to its fullest potential. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, how egotistical is it for any human on earth to be like, nope, I know all the answers. I know yeah. exactly what's going to happen. I know exactly what what has happened in the past, previously in history, and here's where I'm at today, and my decisions are going to lead me to X, Y, Z in the afterlife, and yeah. this is exactly how it happens. How freaking egotistical. But you don't want to swing the other way where it's like there's nothing. It means nothing. Completely nihilist. Completely, you know, scientific materialist. It's like it can exist. Like both things can exist where it's like I don't know and I'm probably never going to know the answer to like what's the meaning of all of this. Which, yeah, like it's supported by what Caroline Mace talks about with, with sacred contracts where it's like, hey, I'm just choosing that. My purpose, I don't know, but I'm choosing that my purpose is here to navigate the lessons of my life and choose to learn along the way, to evolve spiritually. And that's the best I can freaking do. Totally. This book, who's it for? Why should you read it? Um, I think it's for anybody who is fatigued with belief systems. Mm. Um, it's also a really great summary of psychology. And so he, he spends quite a bit of the, the book going through high level summaries of Freud, Jung, um, William James, Nietzsche, 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 whatever the hell Nietzsche. his name is. Um, Campbell, like it, it's a great synopsis of kind of like the history of deep psychology. And so that's fun. And then it, it really is um, just shedding light on some of these things that we don't think about. We bury because yeah. I think we're afraid of them. This this yeah. thing called death, this thing called pain and the coping mechanisms for that fear. And you start to take a look at your life and the life of the people around you and the life of culture and society. And you start you start going, damn it, all of this is because they're afraid. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's pretty powerful. But there's also, I, I love that, Different from like Freud, which is always a little like, matter of fact, yeah. There's light at the end of the tunnel in the way that he he spells this out. Um, So yeah, and it was it's deep. And thank you. I I had to script a lot of that because it was 
too complex yeah. for me to just riff on. Yeah, no, totally. Um, so and it's a long read. Wasn't it like 25 hours or something? It was pretty long. Yeah. 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 Big one. Oh, Kierkegaard's the other one. He goes <coughs> into a lot as well. Mm, yeah. Cool. All right. Last one for you. Last one for me. We are coming down from the clouds um, of the last few books that we've that we've looked at being more like in the spiritual space and the death space and masculinity, femininity. And we are firmly planting our feet back into the world of um, holistic health. <clears throat> and this um, this book is called. Nourishing Traditions, Book of Baby and Child Care by Dr. Tom Cowan and Sally Morell. And I've shared, you know, um, it, it, within the last six months or so that I've just become completely fascinated and intrigued by all things around birth and pregnancy and, and all of that. Um, I know it's just like my intuition that's wanting me to start educating myself if that becomes a reality for us. And so this was a book that was recommended to us, uh, to me by um, the Kingsburys. And so I immediately ordered it and jumped on reading it. Um, I read the physical copy, the physical book. And uh, so in summary, the, the Nourishing Traditions book of baby and child care really makes the principles of traditional nutrition available to us uh, as modern humans, modern people. And um, the book provides holistic advice for pregnancy and newborn interventions, vaccinations, breastfeeding, and child development, as well as a huge cornucopia of natural treatments for childhood illnesses, everything from autism to whooping cough. Um, I, I will say that there is a huge emphasis. It's basically an encyclopedia of how to properly prepare your body for a healthy pregnancy. Um, and even before you get pregnant, there's a huge emphasis on nutrition and how important, critical, <laughs> proper nutrition is for for the, the mother and to basically for, for a, a growing baby to develop properly. So they base their recommendations on uh, clinical research and their experience in the nutrition and pregnancy space. So for the first half of the book, there's a really heavy, heavy emphasis on nutrition and nutritional science. But then they, the authors also go deep into newborn interventions, vaccines, child spacing, and childhood illnesses. So it was, it was a really like complete encyclopedia. Like if we ever become parents, this is going to be like on our coffee table. Um, so one of the biggest takeaways for me, you know, I, I know of the importance of nutrition and, and what we feed our body and how that's feeding our cells and our tissues and our organs. But it goes to another level when you are a mother who's building another human. <laughs> so I can't stress enough like the importance of our nutrition choices before, during, and after pregnancy in order to create the best chances for a well-developed baby and a smooth healing process for the mother. Yes, there are circumstances and things like genetics that aren't fully in our control, but there is much more that is in our control. And I'm not sure how common it is for women to intentionally prepare their body for pregnancy, but 
from what I see and hear from people, I know certainly some people are doing this, but I don't think it's emphasized enough because I see it all the time with friends and social media, uh, even family members. It seems really common for couples to just decide that they want to have a baby and then immediately start trying. But the reality is that building a human (laughs) takes a huge toll on the mother's body. So in my opinion, it is critical to be empowered and educate yourself on what those needs are. Like what does your body need from a nutritional standpoint to, to build a healthy human? And, you know, ideally we're doing this, we're educating ourselves even before you start trying to conceive. So I have a quote here from the book that I want to read. They say, good nutrition for ensuring a truly healthy baby needs to start before the baby is conceived. If you have been following a nutrient-dense diet according to the principles outlined in this chapter for some time, then your period of preparation need only be about six months. But if you have been consuming a standard American diet full of junk food, or alternatively, if you have been following a so-called healthy, low-fat, vegetarian, or vegan diet, you should count on two to three years of preparation Mm -hmm. before conception. Wow. That's probably going to ruffle some feathers. This may seem like a long time for those eager to rush to have a family, but we would urge you not to rush. A malnourished or depleted body needs time to recover, and that recovery needs to take place before, not during, your pregnancy. So this just reiterates, like I said, the importance of prepping your body. Like, you and I are not even, like, we don't even know when we're going to, you know, try to have a kid. Like, it's not even, like, in our purview right now we know eventually we probably want to but it's not like we're planning anything but I wanted to read this book because if it does happen before we plan I don't want to I don't want one I want my body to be ready and I also want to be prepared psychologically and I don't want to feel like I'm immediately behind like if I get pregnant and have a surprise. I want to know like, okay, I've been preparing my body. This is okay. It's going to be fine. And I, I, it won't feel like a waterfall of information flowing over me or just like drinking from a fire hose of pregnancy and childbirth prep. So, you know, thinking about who this read is for, if you're planning on having kids someday, or maybe more kids, maybe you have a kid and you're thinking about when do I, you know, when do we want to try for more? Or if you are currently pregnant, certainly if you are currently pregnant, definitely grab this book. Um, But like I said, ideally you read this before you even try to get pregnant. So yeah, I I just think that this is important and it's not stressed enough. Um, I recently just saw on uh, this certain influencer that I follow, I'm not going to name names, but she, they were trying to have a baby. She got pregnant and about two or three months into the pregnancy, she had this post where she was explaining that they went, she went to the doctor and the doctor gave them some homework in like understanding what her body needs as far as nutrients, protein, certain fats, et cetera, et cetera. And it just highlighted the fact that this, this girl, I mean, she has like 500,000 followers. She's a nutrition influencer, uh, workout influencer, and even she hadn't prepared herself 
for pregnancy in the way of nutrition? Like what other nutrients does your body need? And it just like highlighted the fact that I don't think this is talked about enough. Women in our fertile years, there are certain foods that we need to focus on. And I'm, I'm sorry, but not sorry. Um, if you're in the camp of vegetarian or vegan, this book will definitely yeah. ruffle your feathers yeah. because the reality is that there are nutrients that you cannot get from plant sources. Yeah. They have to come from animal sources. So I encourage anyone who picks up this book, no matter what your current nutrition protocol is, read it with an open mind and just be, um, be open to what, what the information has uh, what this book has for you. Um, and uh, I would say just when it involves building another human, you have to set aside what you think you already know. Yeah. Because now you're you're creating another body. You're creating a space for a little baby to come into the world and you, you really want to stack the deck in your favor. So alongside nutrition, they talk about a bunch of other stuff, newborn interventions, like I said, vaccines, um, even like childhood illnesses, infectious disease, just a completely new take on what we've all been taught about childhood illnesses and things. So overall was an incredible read, fascinating. I learned so much. And when we ever get to that point where we are, quote unquote, trying, um, I'm definitely going to read it again and yeah. um, probably do like a chapter by chapter book report with you so <laughs> that you can be in the know yeah. as well. No, I've, I've enjoyed you sharing and it's definitely one that I will read as well. But um, yeah, highly recommended. Uh, even if I haven't read it, I just know that it's packed yeah. with goodies. And I will also share the last thing here is um, I read the physical copy and I do recommend that to have it like, yeah. so it's you like can highlight and underline. Yeah. It's huge. But they do this really cool thing where if you get the Kindle version, it's free. Oh, isn't that awesome? That is cool. Yeah, really cool. I just looked it up again today and nice. the Kindle version is free. So you have no excuses. Um, but yeah, that's uh, my last book. Those are our most impactful reads from 2022 running back through it we got comedy sex god by pete holmes we've got sacred contracts by caroline mace we've got no more mr nice guy by dr robert glover we have got from the core by johnny wineland <laughs> the denial of death ernest becker and lastly we've got nourishing traditions Book of Baby and Child Care by Dr. Tom Cowan and Sally Morell. And I will put a link to all of these um, in the show notes for you guys. Uh, so you don't have to frantically write down all the titles and everything. Just check the show notes and those links will be there for you. So good. Before we go, I got to know, my love, what is your medicine today? My medicine, aside from our intimate connection, <laughs> <laughs> is us getting our Christmas tree. Mm. It is just a truly magical, fun time where we get to set it up and decorate and put music on, sip some more mushy love and harmony, and uh, just fully immerse ourselves into the Christmas season for our Christmas-loving hearts. Mine's the same. <laughs> I figured. I, I got a copy on this one because I love Christmas time. And I love a good fresh tree. We got a Fraser fir this year. It's mm -hmm. the most fragrant, and it's gonna light up this condo. It already is with yeah. all the smells, all the feels. 
Christmas time is a love language around here. Come on. All right, you guys. Uh, hope you got a lot of value out of this episode. Hope you enjoyed it. Let us know if you did. Share it on your Instagram. If you did or send it to someone, send it to your best buddy. Um, maybe maybe you could do like a book club with one of your friends. Send them this episode and be like, hey, we should read Comedy Sex God together or one of the other Yeah, I, I sent that books. book to a ton of my friends. Brother, friends from childhood, resounding. Yeah. Wow, this was amazing. Wow, this hurts slash yeah. makes me laugh. And yeah. um, that's definitely one to share with your friends. Denial of death, maybe not so much. <laughs> uh, but comedy sex god is a good one. All right, guys. We'll talk to you next time. Go spread some light. Okay, bye. Bye. If you liked this episode, make sure you hit that subscribe button in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you prefer to listen. This will ensure that every episode drops into your library automatically. Also, make sure you're following me on Instagram at Mimi underscore the medicine. To learn more about our favorite health products, foods, and supplements we discuss on here, along with the discounts, visit themedicine.com forward slash medicine cabinet, or just check the show notes for this episode. Until next time, cheers, boo.